Hello and welcome back to the God Story Podcast. I'm Brent Siddle and today we're up to episode 31. Is it really possible to enjoy the Old Testament? Christians know they are supposed to read the Old Testament, yet many struggle to do so. They often find it confusing, theologically troubling, or just uninteresting. Uh, Well, my guest today is on a mission. His goal is to help people learn to love the Old Testament and to actually want to read it. And he is Eric Zybert. Is it pronounced Zybert, Eric? Zybert, yes. Zybert, yes. Uh, A professor of Old Testament at Messiah University in Pennsylvania in the States, who served as the president of the Eastern Great Lakes Biblical Society. And Eric has a new book out from IVP InterVarsity Press in America called Enjoying the Old Testament, A Creative Guide to Encountering Scripture. And Eric joins me now from the States. Eric, hi. Hi, thanks so much for having me on. Oh, I couldn't resist it, brother, with a book like that and a title called Enjoying the Old Testament. Um, <laughs> I couldn't resist having you on at all. Thank you. How did you come to love the Old Testament then? Well, that's a great question. I um, I grew up in a Christian home, so Bible was a, the Bible was a part of my, my life. I spent a lot more time in the New Testament, though, to be honest, before I came to college. And then when I came to Messiah, um, I uh, my first year here, I guess, well, my second year, I think it was my second year, I took a, an Old Testament literature class um, with Terry Brenzinger, professor here, and he helped me to see how the Old Testament is applicable to our lives today. So just that sense of its relevance um, let me know that there was a whole sort of treasure trove um, waiting to be discovered, and I was eager to dig in and just took a lot more classes with him. I, I said, I'm saying it now, I think it actually was my first, it was my first year, it was the second semester of my first year I took that class, and it was just really helpful. What sort of problems do people have traditionally with the Old Testament? Well, I think a lot of people find it, they just find it hard to understand. It's a different culture, different time than ours, so that makes it difficult to get into. They find some of it just boring, um, and you get to list of, you know, laws and genealogies and Sometimes they find it just morally offensive. Um, there are certainly texts that are violent and sexually explicit, and sometimes um, there are texts that portray God behaving in ways that just don't fit well with their own beliefs about God. So those are those become some real challenges and real obstacles to overcome. How do we deal with these troubling texts? Well, the troubling texts are are the probably the most challenging part. Um, I do think that um, we need to be honest with them. We should be able to engage them and talk about ways that um, they disturb us, things that don't quite sit right for us. And I think that's that's the first step, just whitewashing them or sugarcoating them, I don't think is very particularly helpful. I do think it's also important to try to think about the historical and cultural context in which they're written to help us understand why are things portrayed the way they're portrayed. Um, and then beyond that, sometimes we just, we can use them even as, you know, as negative examples, like here are examples of ways that we don't want to behave. And they they show us that clearly and powerfully. I think of a story like, you know, David and Bathsheba and just all of the, the sins that kind of tr- follow one after the other in that, in that story. Um, and that's a helpful kind of warning to us to think about how we want to order our own lives. So sometimes they're helpful in, in that way as well. Why do people find the depiction of God in the Old Testament sometimes so problematic? Well, part of it is because it doesn't, it, the violent texts particularly don't fit very well with some of the texts that we find in the New Testament as we think about Jesus and how Jesus portrays God. But even within the Old Testament itself, um, you know, Israel's core confession is that this God is a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And then you set that alongside of a text where God is, you know, commanding Israel to wipe out Canaanites and to show them no mercy. It just is jarring the, the, the difference between those texts. And so they're not quite sure what to do with that or how to explain it. Um, 
and that creates some challenges. Why is it so vitally important then that we all study the Old Testament in spite of the problems that we may or may not have with parts of it? Well, the Old Testament, again, I think is just is teeming with theological wisdom and insight. So you know, even though there are difficult parts, you don't want to, in essence, you know, throw out the baby with the bathwater, so to speak. I mean, there, there's lots of good things to be had there. Um, so I think we need to study for that reason. And I think part of the challenge, too, is that if we are people of faith um, and, we, and we don't study it and we don't help others think about how to study it, then people tend to do um, some bad things with the Bible. They misuse it. They abuse it. They use it to justify further acts of violence. And so it's really important to help people think about how do we read these texts constructively, responsibly. Um, we don't want to miss um, the benefits that come from reading texts in those ways. Is it important for the church to preach regularly from the Old Testament? I think so. I mean, I'm biased. Obviously, it's, it's, my, uh, it's my area of particular interest. Uh, so I do think a regular preaching from the Old Testament is, is important. I mean, I sometimes tell my class, when you think about the size of the Old Testament, it is, you know, it's over 75% of the Bible. Uh, but on a typical Sunday, you know, on a typical month, let's say, you would not typically hear three out of four Sundays in the month on the Old Testament and just one on the New Testament. It's usually the other way around. And there's certainly nothing wrong with lots of good New Testament preaching, but I think there's a lot in the Old Testament, a lot of the story, the narrative, um, the, the, the prophetic oracles that promote justice, that would be so helpful for people to hear and to and to see. So I, I would I, I wish for more Old Testament preaching than I think many often get in the church. Are preachers frightened of the Old Testament, or do they just not perhaps feel comfortable or know how to apply it or use it? What's happening there? Yeah, that's a good question. I do think, I think some of it, it just feels easier to dip into, say, a gospel story or maybe, you know, um, a saying of Paul that seems on the face of it very positive, very easy to apply. Sometimes with stories, and for example, you need to work a little harder to think about how you want to use those in a way that's going to be relevant and applicable since the culture and customs are so different from ours. Um, but again, I, I, I think there's such value in unpacking that for people, helping them enter into those stories enter, and, and enter into that world and, and see what's there for us to, to reflect on and to benefit from. Mm. How does the Old Testament point to Jesus? I think there's, there, are hopes, there are hopes and aspirations in the Old Testament that are never fully fulfilled there. So there's, again, a sense in which we look forward to this day, which, you know, swords are beaten into plowshares and we look forward to days where there's you know peace and tran tranquility we look forward to a day when god's spirit is kind of more um democratically poured out on all people these are these are hopes and dreams that prophets have and are spoken of but they don't quite see their fulfillment in the old testament so i do think those kind of things find um connection to what jesus is doing in the new testament as jesus comes preaching you know the, the kingdom of god is this, this sense of god's reign of peace and justice that Jesus is, a, is inaugurating. And so there are interesting connections between those, I believe. Can we make sense of the New Testament without the Old Testament? Well, it's, it's, it's hard. I, I, there are so many assumptions that are made by the New Testament writers who are steeped in, in the Old Testament. And so I do think it's helpful, um, certainly helpful to, to know the Old Testament well. I mean, some books in particular, we think about a book like Hebrews or a book like Revelation. I mean, they're just using so much Old Testament imagery that it just really becomes important to understand what they're referring to. Um, I would also say, you know, having said that, that I, I'm sometimes a little nervous to not only view the Old Testament as valuable for helping us understand the New Testament. Sometimes that's an assumption that people make. And then I'm, I worry that if that's the case, 
um, the Old Testament then becomes less important if it's just kind of a you know, preamble to what comes later. So I do think the Old Testament sort of stands in, on its own right and has lots to offer us. But certainly whenever we can, making connections between the Testaments is, is really important and helpful. Mm. Well, where can people start with the Old Testament then, Eric? Can you suggest two or three places to begin? Well, you know, people will say it's always good to begin at the beginning. So, I mean, there is some value, I think, of starting with the book of Genesis. The challenge there is that people often get stuck in the book of Leviticus and they never make it too far beyond that. So, I mean, Genesis is a, is a great book to start with, but if that seems too um, overwhelming since it is 50 chapters, maybe just starting with a shorter book, starting with a book like Jonah or starting with a book like Ruth. Um, something that's smaller and shorter. I, I do think there's value in looking at a book as a book, as opposed to sort of jumping around from passage to passage. I mean, any Old Testament reading is better than none. So I would certainly encourage that. I think there's too few of that, that too, too little of that that happens. But I, I do believe looking at an entire book is, is help, a helpful way to go about doing it. Yes, if you landed in the middle middle of the book of Leviticus for a a reading of just one chapter, you might um, find it a bit problematic. I mean, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I I was intrigued. I talk about this in the book a little bit with um, the laws of the dietary laws in Leviticus 11. I, for a semester, I spent some time examining different reasons why those laws are there, why people think they're there. And it's, to me, captivating and interesting, but I I realize that's not everyone's cup of tea. And, and, And again, that's okay. We don't have to equally love every part of the Old Testament. I think that's part of the beauty of the diversity that we find in the Old Testament, that if one part maybe doesn't engage you quite as much, um, there are other genres to to enjoy and to look at. In what ways does the Old Testament model a gutsy kind of faith? Well, I do think there are examples of um, individuals who are really willing to put their lives on the line for what they believe. I mean, I'm sometimes struck with the prophets, even thinking about a prophet like Jeremiah, who is willing to say things that are unpopular, willing to suffer persecution and ridicule for that. Um, so I find that sort of um, inspiring. Uh, we've got other stories like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are determined to be true to their convictions and are not going to you know, bow to the, to the king, even if that may mean a you know, one-way trip to the fiery furnace. Um, so that type of um, courage, um, I, I find to be a good model for, for our own faith. What are some of the books of the Old Testament that tackle life's biggest questions? Well, the, the book of it, the wisdom, wisdom literature is where those types of things tend to, tend to happen. And so we've got the book of Job and Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. So Job and Ecclesiastes in particular, those two, um, you know, Job deals with all sorts of questions related to, to human suffering, God's response to that, even to how humans respond to others who are suffering. We think about Job's three friends who do a pretty poor job of of uh, helping Job, the best thing they do really comes at the beginning of the book where they're silent for seven days and seven nights and sort of are with him in his pain. But then a book of, like Ecclesiastes, um, which raises a question, you know, what is the meaning of life? Which I think is a profoundly important question. Um, the writer concludes that life is meaningless. Now, I, I would beg to differ with that conclusion, but I appreciate the book in raising the question and, and kind of forcing me to think through that. If I, if I don't think life is meaningless, then how would, I, how would I articulate that? So wisdom literature is really the place to go. We see some of these books that wrestle with some of those big, big questions at some length. Can the church survive without studying the wisdom literature? Well, I think the church can survive. I just think it's, I think it's impoverished. I mean, we have these great, we have these great resources at our fingertips. And so, you know, why would we not want to use them? Uh, The the church has been sustained by these texts for for thousands of years. I mean, at one level, it's interesting. There's a, there's a story in the Old Testament about a lost book that is discovered by, during the reign of King Josiah. And somehow we wonder, well, how could a book so important get lost? But there is a sense in which I, I do feel that big sections of the Old Testament have been lost 
among the church today because they're not it's not read often they're not preached from very regularly and and on their own i don't think a lot of people um tend to read it so the the upside of that is there there are again is, are, are lots of good texts waiting for us to to explore and to to learn from how can story help us approach the old testament do you think well, the beautiful thing about story is that it it sometimes kind of gets around sticks around our defenses so when we read a story we tend to kind of enter into the story we identify with certain people in the story maybe not with others we kind of imagine what we might do in the story or how we went, might respond um, and so it's helpful in that way i think to give us a more visceral um, engagement with the text and i think stories sometimes can just they can unpack ideas in ways that help us get it that are harder sometimes than just a propositional statement. So I, I think about a story like the whole manna miracle in the book of Exodus, which I think is a story that helps us think about what it looks like to, to trust God. And so seeing it in a story form helps us think through that in ways that, again, maybe just hearing a verse uh, might not. What are some of the things to watch out for in Old Testament narratives when we're reading? Well, one of the things that I find really interesting is the use of repetition. Uh, many of us find repetition rather <laughs> boring and and tedious, but one of the one of the ways that they crafted their narratives was by by carefully using repetition. So they might use it simply to emphasize something. They may repeat a word multiple times so that we don't miss an important point. Um, sometimes there's variation in repetition where you might read something once and then it appears again, but it's not exactly the same. There might be something added. There might be something missing. Um, and that, again, can give some clues about the narrative. So I, that can be really helpful as well. Um, I also like to look at um, things like uh, naming, how people are named in the narrative. So, for example, to reference the story of David and Bathsheba again, how she is repeatedly referenced as the wife of Uriah or his wife to, again, keep in front of the reader that David could certainly have multiple wives, according to the way it worked in ancient Israel, but he could not have someone else's wife. And that's what makes what he did so problematic there. So naming is also an interesting feature. And then there's just these, these functional details that emerge. Like we don't find much physical description of characters in the Old Testament, terms of what they look like. Um, but whenever we do find those details, like we're told Esau is a hairy man or Ehud was left-handed, those are important details for the plot of the story. So it's kind of fun to, to notice those when they pop up and ask, why is this why is this given to me here and how does that influence what I'm, what I'm reading going forward? And presumably these, <laughs> these uh, accounts would have been read. So it was these accounts, the repetition would have been important in the reading and telling of the narratives. Yes, I do think they would have picked up on that, and especially in an oral culture, probably more more than we do. So yeah, they would have they would have heard some of these things, um, and that would have been again clues to them as to maybe where the story is going or things that they need to pay particular attention to. Mm. Tremendously dramatic parts of the Old Testament, of not virtually all the Old Testament, tremendously dramatic. You think of the Psalms, the the emotion in the Psalms. How can we enjoy and learn to enjoy the drama in some of these books? Well, one way I think you can do that is to, I talk about like encountering the Old Testament outside of the Old Testament. So I do think that, you know, watching dramatic renditions of, you know, the story of Exodus, for example, can be really helpful or listening to music that's based off of some of these Old Testament texts. Um, or again, even something as simple for people with children who work with children, you're reading children's books that can, again, sort of help us imagine the story maybe in some different kinds of ways. So anytime we can encounter the Old Testament outside of the Old Testament, I think that's really helpful because what that 
often tends to do is then it kind of forces us to go back and reread the Old Testament more carefully. Like, was that what is that what this book claims the theme of this story is? Is that really the theme of the story, or is it doing something else? So it, it, it makes us maybe slow down a little bit and go back and read more carefully. A lot of the a lot of the narratives are set up as dramatic conflicts, aren't they? I'm thinking of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, yeah. Moses and Pharaoh. You get these two principles good versus evil, or whatever, however you want to describe it. Is that an important way those Old Testament narratives are working? Well, I think it's at least maybe just um, human nature that we, we all tend to like a good conflict, and it kind of draws us in. Um, we sometimes tend to take one side or the other. It's a compelling, it's a compelling, makes for a compelling narrative. So I do think that, again, gets us involved, gets us engaged. It helps us not simply read and forget kind of in one ear and out the other, but we have to Sort of stake our own claim as to where we might come out in the midst of that and we're and we're curious by nature just to sort of see how is this going to turn out what's going to happen um what's the end game here why are the old testament prophets so important well, i think they're really valuable because they um they particularly help us think about issues of justice that's one theme that comes up um like in a prophet like amos he helps us think about how important and how central justice is um, and I think they're also important because they are, they are masters of persuasion. So they want the community of faith to live well, to live rightly, to do what God wants them to do. And they use a lot of persuasive techniques to, to accomplish that. And I find that, again, to be a helpful model to think about how we might talk about our own faith tradition or our own values, our own beliefs. You know, how can we also be likewise you know, winsomely persuasive when we talk to people? You know, sometimes people need to hear you know, that there is a better tomorrow waiting for you and people need to have hope and imagination that the prophets can give. And sometimes people need to know that the way they're living their lives is, is self-destructive and not going to be particularly helpful if they continue down that road and that there's, there are better ways that they can, they can order their lives. So prophets give us both, you know, that judgment, they give us uh, hope and imagination. And those things, again, are the universal human themes that we can draw upon and benefit from. One of the things I loved in the book was that you were urging your readers to develop a job description for an Old Testament prophet. Right. <laughs> I thought, and you said, imagine a, an Old Testament prophet is moving in next door. Yeah. Um, and you think Neighborhood Watch would certainly be complaining in some cases. <laughs> well, it's interesting because, it, I mean, at one level it's hypothetical, but as I say in the book, it's also realistic. I mean, these prophets, they did live next door to someone. So what would that have been like? And it's interesting to think about, like, but I have received that as a positive thing. Would I have wanted an Old Testament prophet or prophetess to be next door, or would I have viewed that as a as a negative? Um, and I, I think when I think about that question, I, I suppose it depends on how I'm living my life. If I feel like I'm living well and living rightly before God, then I might be more eager to have someone like that next door. But if, if not, then perhaps maybe I would be less um, open to that. I think with the prophet Ezekiel, it might have been a bit puzzling at times, <laughs> particularly when he was lying on his side yes. and doing yes. all sorts of unusual things. But anyway, you well, need to go, listeners need to go and read the book of Ezekiel. It's fantastic. I mean, Ezekiel, yeah. we were talking before we started the interview about chapter one. I mean, chapter one of Ezekiel really is a great ripping chapter, isn't it, in the Old Testament? Yeah. And, and that, again, maybe brings up another good point about the prophets that they just, they give us a, a grander vision of God than sometimes we may may have and that can be really helpful just to imagine how big and great and awesome god is they do a good job at that what are some good um tools to help people explore the old testament if someone is listening to this podcast thinking this is all very good but where do i start what sort of tools are out there available on the internet or in book form eric to help people get really get stuck into their old testaments sure so um I always encourage people to, you know, it's, it's worth your while to, 
to get um, you know, a single Bible commentary or a single Bible dictionary, you know, one that would be, I would argue, more recent, one that's you know, edited that has a number of you know, contributors to it, scholars who have written in the field. Um, having that at your side can be really useful, particularly if you bump up against customs you don't understand, or if you're reading a particular book of the Bible that just doesn't make sense. If you're a good Bible dictionary or a good Bible commentary, um, they go a long way. The Society of Biblical Literature has an online resource. I think it's called Bible Odyssey, if I'm remembering correctly. And that's a resource that again, has a number of uh, you know, reputable scholars who will give very brief um, discussions of a, a whole range of themes and topics. And that can be, again, a really useful uh, tool to have as well in studying the Old Testament. Yeah, we, we mentioned um, the book of Leviticus a bit earlier. Why are parts of Leviticus worth studying? I mean, I'm thinking particularly of chapter 16. Is it chapter 16, the Day of Atonement chapter, which right. is really central, isn't it, to the whole yeah. Bible, really? Yeah, I do think there are, I mean, the themes of sacrifice. Sacrifice was at the very heart of Israel's worship. And so Leviticus, I mean, the first seven chapters are all about different kinds of sacrifices that they, they made. Um, so I think part of it is it helps us think about um, the nature of worship. So when we see how they engage in a variety of different kinds of sacrifices. It reminds us that, you know, we too can explore a variety of different kinds of worship. Um, we see that, you know, the poor are not excluded from worship. There are provisions made for the poor, which again is helpful to think about, you know, are our worship practices, you know, in, encouraging people from all socioeconomic uh, levels to, to participate in those. And I do think just the symbolic system that you get in the book of Leviticus, the idea of something being holy, or clean or unclean, although we would define that differently, not so much by eating a certain kind of food or not by like touching a certain um, like a, a corpse or a uh, you know, dead animal. Those are not things that would make us unclean, but Jesus sort of uses that and talks about, you know, it's not what, um, what's outside of us that makes us unclean, but what comes from inside of us out that can make us unclean. So that whole idea of how do we become cleansed and how do we become holy? Those are theological concepts that are still really useful to think about. We're coming to the end, sadly, but uh, do you have a, a favorite, well, I can't say a favorite, maybe two or three favorite books in the Old Testament yourself? I, yeah, I really like, you know, I, from time to time here, so I've gotten to teach, you know, a course on a book or books. And so I've selected Exodus. I find Exodus to be a very, very helpful book. I mean, the, the first half is so dramatic, mm -hmm. really cinematic. Um, but again, it's, just, it's rich theologically um, and interesting to explore. And then the second half, you've got the Ten Commandments, you've got law, you've got tabernacle, which again, is related to worship. So I really have enjoyed working with the book of Exodus. I also like the books of Samuel, First and Second Samuel. They don't get quite as much attention in the church, but um, the story of um, you know, Samuel and Saul and David, um, I find those to be you know, captivating as, as well. Um, mm. So there's, there's lots of good places. I, I really like the stories. I, I'm partial towards the stories. I know some People really enjoy the prophets. Um, so there's just so many different um, genres to, to enjoy there. Exodus, of course, starts with this terrific drama yes. uh, and, and an oppressed people and as much drama as anybody could want in a book, really, and ends with this painstaking detail of the description yeah. of a building. It does. Yes, it does. Which is hard for a lot of readers to get through. And I, I, you know, I, I can see that would not be my favorite part of the book of Exodus. But again, I do think, and you know, Terence Fredheim has made this point, part of the issue is you've got a third of the book that's devoted to tabernacle, which is, which is about worship, which says something central about how important worship is. It's, you know, they're delivered from bondage, but then they're connected to God. And so I like, I like that movement that kind of comes in the book that it's 
you know, once I'm freed from bondage, then I'm I'm not just free to do whatever I want, but I'm connected to God and I have a new new life in that in that relationship. Well, for any preachers listening and they're thinking, I haven't preached on the Old Testament for a very long time in my church, because we were talking about this before the formal part of the interview, and we both said it's very rare to find sermons on the Old Testament these days, let alone a whole book, uh, someone preaching through a whole book. How do we encourage preachers? What's a good book to start with if they're going to do a sermon series next year, say, on the Old Testament, haven't done a sermon series for a long time? Any recommendations? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, I mean, I just said in my class today that you know, wouldn't it be great to do a sermon series on the minor prophets through the summer? So you've got 12 minor prophets and you've got you know 12 weeks, but that probably is not the place I would encourage pastors to start if they've not been preaching on the Old Testament. I think I would point them to something like the book of Genesis, where you've got a lot of family stories, and those can be really immediately um, relevant, I think, to people. Think about like the story at the end of the book with Joseph and his brothers, there's, you know, estrangement, there's favoritism, there's forgiveness. I mean, those are themes, again, that are very helpful to explore and could be used very well in, in sermons today. And you end up with one of the most magnificent narratives in the whole bible which is the story of joseph which i have always loved yeah yes no it's a, it's and i i think again for me one of the things that i find interesting about the old testament we often characterize it as a book filled with violence and to be sure there's lots of violence there but there are these other stories of forgiveness like that one there are stories of you know, non-violent resolution of conflict like the story of abigail in first samuel 25 story about a conversation that stops a war in Joshua 22. So there are these other texts that are there that are also really interesting to explore and to, and to bring to the fore. Eric, where can people find you on social media, the net? Well, unfortunately, I'm not, I don't have a big social media presence. Probably, the, honestly, the easiest way to connect with me is simply by email. And I'm really, I'm pretty good with email. I check it more often than I probably should. So my email is just my first initial E, last name Seibert, S-E-I-B-E-R-T at messiah.edu and i'm really glad to correspond with people that way oh there we go so start up a conversation with eric and let's get into the old testament It'd be wonderful if and and why don't we say to our and challenge our listeners if you're listening to this podcast wherever you are listening and you are listening from anywhere between russia the states and the philippines i know because i get the listening stats why don't we all try and read through the old testament in a year now eric how can we how can we do that is there a, a tool that we can use to work that, how to, we can all read the Old Testament in a year? I, if I would default to Google and say, just go ahead and Google, read the Bible through in a year or read the Old Testament through in a year. And it should give you what you need to do to make your way through. Like, right. I think that's, I think that's a great practice to do that, especially if you've not made your way through it ever before, or if you've spent a long time to kind of get, get a, a sweeping view of what's there. Oh, there's some fabulous stuff. Turn off your television, don't go. Well, don't, I shouldn't say don't go to the movies, but anything in the old, some of these these Old Testament narratives are just as thrilling, if not more thrilling, than anything you'll find on the on the screen or in, in, in movies. And goodness knows how many movies have been made from Old Testament stories. Right. Mm. All right, Eric Zybert, professor of Old Testament at Messiah University in Pennsylvania in the states, and his new book from IVP America into Varsity Press is called Enjoying the Old Testament. A creative guide to encountering scripture. Eric, thank you so much for your time. Oh, Brent, it's been a delight. Thanks for having me. I appreciate thank it. It's a pleasure. Thank you. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, 
you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash godstorypodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.